So tonight we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. So let's begin with verse 1. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters. I just want to stop there to begin with. The Apostle Paul loves this church at Corinth, doesn't he? He's so tender and so loving and gracious towards them. Is the church at Corinth a great church? It's got a lot of flaws, a lot of problems. The Apostle Paul loves them, doesn't he? He loves them so much that he wants to rebuke them. He wants to correct them. Just like a parent corrects and rebukes their children. So he loves the church at Corinth. And the church in Corinth was a gifted church. And we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is 4 to 8. Do you remember that? Again, we see Paul's heart and his love and his tenderness towards the church of Corinth in these verses. But he reminds them that they're a gifted church, a spiritually gifted church. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 to 8. I always thank my God for you, local church at Corinth, for his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you've been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. So the local church at Corinth, they didn't lack any spiritual gift. And I think that is applied to the church worldwide now as well. Does Binfield Free Church lack any spiritual gift? Has God done a mistake? (laughs) No, of course he hasn't. God believes that the members that we have as a church today are the members that we need, isn't it? For this time, for this age. He has given us the gifts that he believes that we need, isn't it? To serve one another and to reach the lost in the community. He may add different members to our number, with different gifts, isn't it, as time goes on. But for today, isn't it, for the now, we do not lack any spiritual gift. God is on the throne, isn't he? He knows what he's doing. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1. Now about spiritual gifts, or now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters... I do not want you to be uninformed. So it's almost as if the Apostle Paul is saying, now you've been given this gift, you've been given these gifts of the Spirit, now I want you to know how to use them. It's almost as if the Apostle Paul is sort of telling them, you don't really know how to use these spiritual gifts that you've been given in abundance. You don't know how to use them and you don't really know what they're for. It's a bit like a child being given a very expensive gift, isn't it? Could you imagine if a child was given a sports car? (laughs) Was given like a a quarter of a million pound Ferrari? Isn't it? It would just be so inappropriate. They just wouldn't know what to do with it, would they? They said, look, you need to understand how to use this. Or giving an iPad to a child and the child maybe just uses it as like a hammer or something and knocks it about and is throwing it like a frisbee or something. No, no, that's completely inappropriate. 
We need to tell you how to use this, what it's for and how to use it. So really, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14 is kind of like an instruction manual to the church on how to use spiritual gifts. It's our instruction manual on how to use spiritual gifts. And then what do we read in verse 2? You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Now, what is a pagan? What is a pagan? Well, really, the Bible uses the word pagan to describe non-Christians. It's almost like a blanket statement to describe all non-Christians. And maybe we think of a pagan as someone who worships created things rather than the creator. So some pagans would worship the sun, the moon, the stars. They might worship trees and animals. And you would also call someone a pagan if they worshipped their possessions or if they worshipped other human beings. Sadly, we do know people who put other human beings before God, or maybe they put their possessions before God. And pagans are also people who sort of revel in sort of sensual pleasure. So they're sort of hedonistic or hedonistic, sort of pleasure-seeking, and they sort of self-indulge. And pagans are also people who worship made-up things. I'm going to say this bluntly. Allah doesn't exist. There's no such thing as Allah. So you could call Muslims pagans. They're worshipping someone who doesn't exist. And Hindus, you could call them pagans. Is it 33 million gods and counting? I think they keep going up, don't they? Can you imagine that? 33 million gods. That's how many gods Hindus have. None of them exist. The elephant god doesn't exist. (laughs) And Roman Catholics worshipping Mary. They shouldn't do that. It's a blasphemy. Roman Catholics believing that the bread actually turns into Jesus' flesh and that the juice actually turns into his blood. It's a blasphemy. It's a pagan act, isn't it? People who believe lies are pagans. So how could the church at Corinth be influenced by sort of false gods, idols, created things and lies? Well, the answer is found in 2 Thessalonians, uh, chapter 2, verses 9 to 12. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Now, the pagans perform signs and wonders. The pagans spoke in tongues. 
The pagans sort of prophesied, they tried to foretell the future, and they babbled in this sort of strange language. But they were influenced by an evil spirit when they performed their signs and wonders, when they spoke in this sort of babble language, when they tried to foretell the future. They were influenced by an evil spirit. But what does the Apostle Paul tell the church of Corinth in verse 3? Therefore, I want you to know that no one is, who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. I wonder how you'd answer this question. What does it mean... To be spiritual. It's one of those questions people always ask, isn't it? What does it mean to be spiritual? When you think of a spiritual person, what comes into your head? Are you thinking of someone with a beard and wearing sandals or something? (laughs) And maybe meditating? If you sort of just type into Google, what is a spiritual person? Sort of one of the first pictures that come up is like this. So is that what it means to be a spiritual person? To sit on the grass in the open air with your legs crossed? Apparently that is a spiritual person. You might be, I don't know. But is that what it means to be a spiritual person? And then I read this article about what it means to be a spiritual person. And apparently this is what it means. You recognise yourself in all beings. Do you know what that means? Neither do I. (laughs) Two, you are comfortable with not knowing. I'm not really comfortable about that, are you? (laughs) And three, your wisdom is your own. Deep, isn't it? Profound. Your wisdom is your own. And then the fourth one, you delight yourself in quietness and solitude. Is that you? (laughs) Is that what a spiritual person is? It's nonsense, isn't it? The church at Corinth was a gifted church, but it wasn't a spiritual church. Sadly, that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And I'm going to read from the ESV here. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. So what does it mean to be a spiritual person? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3 tells us. What does it mean to be a spiritual person? What do we read in verse 3? Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is Lord. People who say and people who believe with all their heart that Jesus is Lord are spiritual people, isn't it? And then we've all met people who claim to be spiritual people, but they've got no interest in Jesus. They say, well, I'm, I'm a spiritual person. Oh, so Jesus is Lord of your life. Well, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> oh, so you believe that Jesus is God and that he's king of your life. If you're a spiritual person. I say, well, I I think there are many paths to finding spirituality. 
Oh, you're not spiritual. You're just odd, <laughs> isn't it? You're just deceived. And sadly, there are some professing Christians who are obsessed by signs and wonders, tongues and prophecy, and Jesus is clearly not Lord of their lives. You all know who I'm thinking of, don't you? These so-called signs and wonders evangelists like Benny Hinn, Rodney Howard Brown, is it, and Kenneth Copeland. Why is Jesus not Lord of their lives? Because money is their God, isn't it? Just being famous and rich, that is their God. Because whenever they're on television, they're always asking for money. There's always phone numbers going along the bottom of the screen. And they're saying that you can be healed, that you can be healthy, wealthy and prosperous if you give money to their ministries, their organisations. And they're from the pit, aren't they? Jesus isn't Lord of their lives. The God of money is Lord of their lives. And I love verses 4 to 6 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verses 4 to 6 tell us what spiritual gifts are and what the church should be like in order to effectively exercise spiritual gifts. What do we read there? And I'll read verse 7 too. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. I don't know if you noticed that. Spiritual gifts are described in another two ways here. Can you see that? There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. And then it says there are different kinds of service. That's just another word for spiritual gifts. It is service. And then look at verse 6. There are different kinds of workings. But in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So spiritual gifts are works of service. What do we read in verse 7? Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Because so many people believe that spiritual gifts are something to give them pleasure. It is something that they can sort of indulge in, isn't it? Like some people might say, Oh, God has given me the spiritual gift of just laughter. And they'd be just there in the corner sort of laughing or whatever. I said, you're having a great time. It's not doing me any good. (laughs) Actually, it's causing harm in the church, isn't it? You're just being disruptive and distracting, isn't it? So spiritual gifts are always works of service for the common good. And I think that is so, so important. It's not just having a, a, a great time, isn't it? It's not just sort of us having sensual pleasures and self-indulging. They're not for individual enjoyment. Spiritual gifts are not for individual enjoyment. And then what should we be like when we exercise our spiritual gifts? Well, what do we read there? 
we read of the Spirit, who is God the Holy Spirit, isn't it? We read of the Lord, and Jesus is very commonly just referred to as the Lord, isn't it? I have seen the Lord. So you've got the Spirit, the Lord, and God. And very often, God the Father is often given just the title God, isn't he? So what do you have there? The Trinity. Can you see the Trinity there? In verses 4 to 6. The Spirit, the Lord, and God. And that is the most basic and common truth about the one true living God. God is three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinity, the triunity, isn't it? God... I have to be maybe careful what I say. But God is a bit like a church, isn't it? Three persons who are different working together. And that's what the local church should be like. We should be, we should look like God, shouldn't we? We should be united, working together. So when we use our spiritual gifts, when we exercise the spiritual gifts... That Jesus has given us by his spirit in his kindness. We should be united, isn't it? Serving each other for the common good. And my friends, the spiritual gifts will not be exercised effectively unless the church are united. I've seen very, very gifted people going into churches. And because the church hasn't been united, nothing has happened. Gifted teachers, gifted evangelists, and there's been no fruit because the spirit can't work when there's division in the church, can he? That's something the Holy Spirit absolutely hates, is division. No peace. People not getting along. He said, can't work in this environment. So important that we're united when we use our spiritual gifts. Now, the spiritual gifts in verses 8 to 10 aren't the only spiritual gifts in the Bible. Can you see them there? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 to 10. Paul just gives us a little sample there, doesn't he? 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 to 10. All the different gifts are also named in verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 12. And also Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 and Romans 12 verses 6 to 8. And it's interesting, when you combine all those spiritual gifts, so 1 Corinthians 12 verses 8 to 10, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 28, and Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, and Romans 12 verses 6 to 8, you get 19 spiritual gifts. Because very often you ask someone, oh, what are your views on the gifts? People often ask me that. What are your views on the gifts? I say, what? Sort of administration, hospitality? No, no, the gifts. What they're meaning is tongues and prophecy, isn't it? But they're not the only ones. There's another sort of 17, at least, mentioned in the Bible. But I'm going to look at a couple of them. Let's... um, Begin with verse 8, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8. To one there is given, through the Spirit, a message of wisdom. To another, 
a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit. So which one of our members has got one of those gifts? (laughs) Hands up, which one has got the gift of a message of wisdom? Hands up, who's got the gift of a message of knowledge? Hands up, who's got the gift of faith? It doesn't quite work like that, does it? (laughs) We don't go through the, like, um, church directory saying, oh, we'll give that person that gift or whatever, isn't it? I believe that they are leadership gifts. They are gifts that we should see in the elders of the church, isn't it? Especially when we're preaching and teaching the Bible. They are leadership gifts. It's the ability to sort of understand God's word and apply God's word to a definite situation, isn't it? And it is a gift. Not everyone is able to do it. And faith is a leadership gift, isn't it? The leadership of the church sort of come together as elders. We pray, we come together, and we say, we believe by faith that this is what God wants us to do as a church. And it's so important to our faith, isn't it? That's something I was struck by at the conference I went to last week. I know uh, Austin has uh, heard um, this story from David Robertson in the FIC Leaders Conference. He was called to a church that had seven members and three of them left when he came. And it was a huge church, a 400-seater building, chapel, uh, St. Peter's in Dundee. And he told the church that it was going to grow to 100. I said, when the church grows to 100, I said, did I know for certain that the church was going to grow to 100? No, I couldn't say that for a certain. But I had to have faith that it was, as a leader, I had to have faith as met. And that's something that's really challenged me recently. When we make decisions, when we set out a vision for the church, we do it with faith. And then, what do we read as we go on? Verse 9. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, miraculous powers. And what does that mean? So which one of our members has got the gift of healing? We all want to know who that is, don't we? (laughs) Or which one of our members has got the gift of miraculous powers? We want that members of our best friend, don't we? Well, I think Hebrews chapter 2 is really helpful for this. I think it's something that I've probably touched on before. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, tells us that you have to have those gifts the gifts of healing and miraculous powers in order to write the Bible. (laughs) So the people that God used, the apostles, the people that God used to write the Bible, they did have those gifts, the gifts of healing and miraculous powers to authenticate their message. Because how do we know that you're speaking the word of God? How do we know that you're actually writing the word of God? And the answer was, well, this is the proof. Because we're doing God-like stuff, isn't it? 
healing people, performing miraculous signs. So what do we read there? Hebrews 2, verses 1 to 4. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, first announced by Jesus, was confirmed to us by those who heard him, the apostles. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So what am I trying to say? Am I saying that God cannot heal anymore? That miracles don't happen anymore? No, I'm not saying that. God can heal, can't he? But I don't think it's as common as during the apostolic age. Is that fair to say? Anyone seen a resurrection recently? No, no, we we don't, do we? We read of the resurrections during the age of Jesus and the apostles, isn't it? It's not common occurrence, healings, signs and wonders today, is it? And we don't need them today because the Bible has been written. The Bible is complete, isn't it? We don't need anyone to authenticate that they are speaking and writing the word of God. And what about the next part of um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12? So to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between... What about prophecy? So to another prophecy. Well, Austin is going to deal with that when we get to chapter 14. So I'm not going to speak too much on uh, the gift of prophecy. But I think there is a difference between the office of prophet and the gift of prophecy. So we'll come on to that again. But what about that one? To another, distinguishing between spirits. What does that mean, distinguishing between spirits? Well, again, I believe that that is especially important in leaders of the church. So the elders are to be sort of pastors, aren't they? We're to protect the flock from false teaching. Because fads come and go, don't they? Oh, have you heard the latest sermon? Have you read this latest book? Have you heard the latest preacher? So then as elders, we need to check this guy out. We need to check the book out or check the sermon out. And we have to see if it lines up with the word of God. We have to distinguish whether it's from an evil spirit or from a good spirit. And the Bible is our help there, isn't it? And we read of that in 1 John chapter 4, this is 1 to 6. This is what it means to distinguish between spirits. Knowing what's true or what's false teaching. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. 
You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So distinguishing between spirits, knowing what is from God, knowing what is from the evil one or from the world, isn't it? And then um, the next one then, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues and still another, the interpretation of tongues. Well, we'll come on to that again. But um, what about verse 28? Verse 28 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, I'll come on to that later, third teachers, come on to them later, then miracles, then gifts of healing, we've already looked at that, helping, administrating. Isn't that a wonderful spiritual gift? How wonderful it would be if someone turned up at the church and said, I'd love to become a member of your church, and uh, the previous church I was at, the elders identified that I've got the gift of helping. Can I help? I said, Come in, here's the application form, isn't it? The gift of helping. You know, I don't want to lead. I just do, do whatever, isn't it? Anything. You know, just give me a call whenever you get blocked toilets or something. I just want to help, isn't it? Just, I know we should all be helpers, but there are some people who are particularly servant-hearted, isn't it? All they want to do is help. And then, what about the next one? Administrating. It's, it's quite um, uh, apt, maybe, that Ali's here tonight, isn't it? The gift of administration. Not everyone is good at administration. I haven't got the gift of administration. Honestly, you don't want me to get involved with that, those sort of stuff. But some people are just so good, aren't they, at just organising things, isn't it? If you'd have asked me to sort of pull that board together or that one, it'd be an absolute mess, wouldn't it? It'd just be black and white or something. There'd be no photos there or anything. But I think in this day and age, that gift of administration is so important in the church. Because nearly every church is a registered charity, isn't it? And many churches are CIOs, and there's a lot of paperwork to be done, isn't there? You know, I, I think maybe Austin has particularly got the gift of administration, isn't it? Not everyone will be able to do the things that Austin can do as quickly and see it so sharp, isn't it? Such an important gift, I think, in this day and age, the gift of administration, especially with sort of bank accounts and all that sort of stuff, isn't it? But what about Romans chapter 12 then, uh, verses 6 to 8? We have different gifts according to the grace, the kindness, isn't it, given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, again, we'll come on to that again, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. Or that could be waiting. The original is more sort of waiting. So that's kind of like serving food, isn't it? Some people are particularly good at serving food. Sort of that uh, hospitality gift. We should all do it, shouldn't we? But some people are especially gifted at it. If it is teaching, then teach. 
If it is to encourage, we should all be encouragers, but we all know some people who are particularly gifted at it, don't we? We just love sort of spending a bit of time in their company because they're an encourager, aren't they? Uh, If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. Again, we should all give, shouldn't we, to the Lord's work. But some people are particularly generous givers, aren't they? Maybe God has blessed them with more money than some, and they're able to give even more generously, aren't they? If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, again, that's connected with giving generously, I think. If it is to uh, show mercy, do it cheerfully. What is mercy, isn't it? Showing kindness to those who are in need of mercy, those who are suffering, those who are in need of sort of physical uh, and material aids. Some people are particularly good at spotting those things, and maybe they have the money and the resources to help. And then, as we come to the end then, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 to 11. This is why it says, when he, that's Jesus, ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people, gave gifts to the church. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens, in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Now, I believe that the office of apostle and prophet doesn't exist in the local church today. You know, what do we have up on the board? We have elders and deacons, don't we? We don't have the office of prophet and apostle, do we? We don't have them in the local church today. That's what I believe personally. Why? Because they are the foundation. I believe that apostles and prophets is just another way of saying Old and New Testament. The Bible, isn't it? That is our foundation. And we get that from Ephesians chapter 2, don't we? Ephesians 2, verses 18 to 20. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. What is our foundation as a local church? It's the word of God. We're built on the word of God, aren't we? That is the apostles, the New Testament, the prophets, the Old Testament. That is our foundation. You know, we don't sort of put the foundation on top of what we're building on, do we? Could you imagine if um, someone was having their attic sort of converted or something? I said, oh, um, so the f- and the builder turns up, oh, the first thing I need to do is dig the foundations. I said, what? Well, the foundations have already been dug. Look, the house is up. <laughs> what we need you to do is build, um, uh, convert the loft, isn't it? It'd be absurd, isn't it? Just talk about foundations when you're building, isn't it? 
No, we build on the foundation. The foundation has already been laid. We've got it. The word of God, isn't it? And then it talks about, in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 to 11, it talks about the evangelists. Now, we should all do the work of an evangelist. What is an evangelist? Someone who tells the good news about Jesus to the lost, isn't it? And we should all be doing that. But some people are particularly gifted at it, aren't they? And some people are particularly gifted at reaping souls for the... And we all know them, don't we? People who seem to always be able to get into great conversations. People who, are, who seem to be able to lead lots of people to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are all to be evangelists, but... Some churches even have, still have the office of evangelist. Um, like All Souls Church in Langham Place, London, they actually have an evangelist on staff. They've probably got more than one now. And that used to be Rico Tice. So he's a very gifted evangelist, isn't he? So the church said, this is our evangelist, isn't it? He has got the office of evangelist. It'd be quite cool, wouldn't it, if we could sort of employ a full-time evangelist, someone who's particularly gifted at telling other people about Jesus in a very effective way and reaping souls, doesn't it, for God's harvest. But then it talks about um, not only uh, evangelists, but pastors, which is kind of shepherds, isn't it? People who sort of shepherd our souls, isn't it? Sort of pray for us, protect us, nourish us and feed us, isn't it, with God's word. And that is a function of an elder. So elders are pastors, isn't it? And teachers, people who teach God's word. God has gifted the church with people who are particularly gifted at preaching and teaching the Bible. And it would be good uh, to end with um, verse 11 then. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So the Holy Spirit gives these gifts to each member as he determines. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God, isn't he? He is God, the Holy Spirit. And God is wiser than us. There are some gifts I'd love to have, wouldn't you? I wouldn't mind being gifted at at administration. And um, I do the work of evangelism. But I'm not sure if I am the most gifted evangelist. I'm not as gifted as, I don't know, Roger Carswell and Rico Tice or whatever, isn't it? But then, should I be really disappointed? Or should I just say, God is wiser than me. Whatever gifts God has given me, he has chosen it. He has determined what gift I should have. We don't determine our gifts. It's the Holy Spirit who determines what gifts we have. And we shouldn't complain about our gifts, and we shouldn't boast about our gifts. We are members of one body serving each other. What a boring church it would be if we all had the same gift, isn't it? 